this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Unsympathetic intellects slowly and surely drew their plans against us. It is Foreign Invader with Conrado Falco III. Welcome to Foreign Invader. My name is Conrado Falco III and this is the podcast about the pop culture that is corrupting American life. Every episode we take a piece of culture that originated in not the United States of America and talk about its impact on our country and our lives. I want to start out by once again thanking E.J. Meehan for coming on the show last week and talking about that wretched video game Animal Crossing. E.J., if you're listening, thank you for being on the show, but also I want you to know that ever since we recorded this episode, my wife has been playing Animal Crossing non-stop and ignoring me all day long. And yes, I do blame you for it. Anyway, today we are talking about a different piece of Japanese media. In 2016, audiences across the world, but especially in East Asia, fell in love with Your Name, directed by Makoto Shinkai. The movie's mix of science fiction, coming of age, and romance fascinated audiences and made it the most successful anime movie of all time. Here to talk about it, I have a very special guest. She is in contention for being the number one Your Name fan in this whole wide world. You might recognize her from one of her many fabulous podcasts and YouTube videos, which include the Hallmarkies podcast about Hallmark holiday movies, the Francast, which is a recap of the delightful sitcom The Nanny, or maybe you recognize her as the co-host of my other podcast, The Criterion Project. That's right, the wonderful Rachel Wagner is here. Yay! Oh, this is so exciting to get to talk about your name, and uh, I can't think of anything more I'd like to do. Yes, I'm very excited. Thank you for being here. I think we're going to have a great conversation. But before we get into your name, I'd like to start by asking the guests where they're from. Yeah, so I am from uh, Draper, Utah, which is about uh, 35 minutes south of uh, Salt Lake City. And I, I grew up, uh, we'd moved a little bit. I, I lived in Utah, but then we went, went to Maryland, actually. And I lived in Maryland through my middle school and high school years. And so that was very influential. And then, uh, then my whole adult life, basically, I've lived in Utah. And, and I never saw myself as a person who was going to be in Utah my whole life, but that's just how it worked out. You never know. Yeah. I mean, to me, coming from South America, Utah is a very exotic place, which might be surprising <laughs> for you to hear. All I knew yeah. about Utah yeah. for a long time uh, was the Sundance Film Festival and Mormons. Mm -hmm. Am I close? Right. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> we also have the uh, the most national parks of any state. Oh, that's right. Uh, in uh in utah and um we uh we it's really a great place to live because it has a high in, uh, influence of the arts almost every uh every town has their own theater and and uh orchestra and uh it's 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 a place where you can see a lot of great musical theater uh of course not during this time but we all miss it so much we love dance uh if you watch um uh, so you think you can dance or uh, dancing with the stars a lot of the professionals are uh, the contestants are from utah oh. 
Um, yeah, there's a big, uh, BYU has, uh, one of the top performing, uh, ballroom dance teams in, in the country. They won the national championships. Like, I don't know. I've lost track, but for a while it had been like 20 years that they had won in a row. <laughs> wow. um, um, so yeah, we're really, uh, a, 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 you know, a proud, proud people, uh, that, uh, with a, um, legacy i guess that maybe not every state has uh that uh you know that we uh as a people i mean the state was founded on on a, a you know group of people who'd actually been expelled from the united states with mm -hmm. the mormon pioneers uh coming uh and um and uh, it's a lot more diverse and interesting than i think maybe people would give it credit for um like we actually have, have a number of times received awards for being well, the salt lake city is being one of the most gay friendly cities in the country which people wouldn't think but it's actually true and uh there were we're pretty accepting uh people for the most part you know we have our things that make us uh that are problematic but but anyway uh, i think it's a great place to live that leads me into my next question very well actually because something that i love to do on the show mm -hmm. is talk and debunk and analyze stereotypes about different countries and places and cities. So mm -hmm. do you think there are any stereotypes about Utah that you'd like to either confirm or deny? Well, I think that the polygamy thing is a, I guess, a stereotype kind of associated with, with Utah. And there certainly are polygamists here. And that, that is a thing that exists. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not part of the official mm -hmm. Mormon church, uh, the latter, the latter-day saint church uh, it hasn't been for uh for many 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 years and so that's a misconception i think that people don't understand that we don't practice it anymore right so the first time that i heard about the polygamy thing was in that hbo show uh big love right big love. and yeah. uh is it do, do people keep it secret like you know like they did in the show um, well, I mean, it's changing a lot because of shows like Big Love, but also, you know, Your Sister Wives and some other shows right. that have gotten people to be, uh, to be more outspoken. And I, I have one good friend who is the, uh, daughter of, uh, a polygamist. She doesn't, she doesn't practice the principle. Uh, she's mm. a member of, of our church uh and uh and uh, she wasn't too too secretive about it i learned pretty quickly uh about that she was a grown had grown up in polygamy um so i think that is changing and i mean and it's especially if you're just a child like you have no control over you know like that that's uh not fair to condemn i mean not that i i guess not that anybody should necessarily be condemned for how they uh how they choose to be married in my opinion but um uh but uh the um uh, it was definitely i mean because it's a, it's a class a felony in the in utah right. it still is so you can be arrested if you practice practice polygamy interesting very mm -hmm. interesting um so we met online through our love of animation and i remember seeing one of those uh, infographics that show up on Twitter every now and then. And it was a map of the U.S. showing each state's favorite Disney movie. So, you know, you had like 
Lion King was the favorite yeah, in New York yeah. or something, and Little Mermaid. And in Utah, there was like an eight-way <laughs> tie for like eight different Disney yeah. movies. Um, is that how you got into animation? Yeah, like- I I had always wanted to review the Disney canon. So when I uh, tore my MCL in my knee, I was I literally could not move, and uh, so I was like, well, "What am I going to do?" What am I going to do with myself? And so I decided to start my, this blog where I was going to, originally my blog was called uh, 50, uh, 54 Disney reviews. And uh, the reason why was because that was the idea was I was going to review uh, the, the canon and that was going to be it. That was all I was going to do. And, uh, right. it's, and look at yourself now. Oh, crazy. <laughs> and uh, and I so I started writing and reviewing the canon and I just really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed writing about film. I really enjoyed it. And I had for, for a long time really enjoyed film criticism. Uh, I'd grown up watching mm-hmm. Siskel and Ebert and, and uh, I'd gr- had, uh, had uh, been a part of a family where we talked a, a lot about we analyzed anything that we saw, whether it was or read, uh, we would talk about it. And my mom, uh, she would say, you know, that she didn't want us mindlessly consuming entertainment. She wanted us to think about it. And, and she would ask us questions and, and what, what mm-hmm. we liked and why we liked it and, and things like that. I just really enjoyed it. I loved writing and I loved uh, commenting, you know, with the commenters and uh, talking about it, and so then it just kind of expanded uh, to talking about animation in general, and then uh, then even more than that. And I started writing for Rotoscopers, mm-hmm. and Rotoscopers uh, is an animation website, and uh, it was there that Rotten Tomatoes found my my writing. And I had started doing YouTube videos as well. And uh, so, yeah, I just kind of live and breathe my writing and my uh, uh, my podcasting. And uh, people are like, how do you get done all that you do? And it's it's just because I have like, it's it, I'm not I don't wouldn't recommend everybody having my life because it's not the it's not the most healthy. I mean, I literally spend all <laughs> my time in all my projects, all of it. I don't have any other. Uh, I mean, watching Chopped is about as <laughs> your only leisure non- time. <laughs> it's my leisure time. I mean, I especially during the holidays, I don't even get to watch mm. Chopped during Christmas. Right. Um, thinking back on that map, is it that is it that Disney is particularly popular in Utah? My sense was probably it's because it's wholesome family entertainment that everyone mm-hmm. can watch that yeah. it, that the movies were so popular, but is there like a specific love for Disney around there? There really is. And you have a lot of annual pass holders. Of course, not anymore. Sad story with Disneyland. There's, it's a big, there's a lot of Disney fans here in Utah and a lot of Disneyland fans here. And uh, yeah, I think it's because it is reliably wholesome. I tell you one thing though that was super popular and I knew the minute I saw The Greatest Showman I actually they were so smart because they had a uh, a their preliminary uh screenings focus group yeah oh folks they're here in Utah for Greatest Showman I'm like that was brilliant uh, because the minute <laughs> I saw it I knew that it would be incredibly popular here and it was incredibly popular here people absolutely loved it I I 
I mean, I saw it four times because I had so many friends. I mean, I did enjoy it. I know you, you hated it, but, but, um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, but I had so many friends who wanted to see it and who just loved it. And that kind of pageantry and that kind of uh, musical um, uh, is very, it's a very uh, Utah kind of thing. For right. Sure yeah yeah i guess right i guess so i mean i, I guess mm. growing up with all those disney movies all those yeah. disney musicals and then you know you're telling me that everyone that there's so many theaters and musical theaters so mm. it makes a lot of sense and and it's a movie that's like you said seems tailor-made for like yeah. family wholesome kind of viewing yeah my my review i'm still really proud of my review of greatest showman i said a title that is the there's the best mormon movie ever made (laughs) (laughs) that's great so yeah that's very and i think we had the number one uh, per like per capita whatever uh theater sold that sold the most greatest showman tickets in the in the whole world I'm not surprised. I mean, The Greatest Showman, it's an incredible story of the movie opened pretty, yeah. pretty badly, but it was just people, it was word of mouth, you know, in a way that we haven't seen for such a long time that made it such a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. Because we love dance and we love theatricality and we love show, we really love showmanship and the musical theater and I think we are already talking about animation and movies, so that leads us into your name. But before we do, I have to ask you the question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is, what would you say was the most American thing about your childhood? Well, I really think growing up as a Latter-day Saint, as a Mormon, uh, it was was the most American thing about my childhood because uh, because the Mormon church is a uh, is an American church. Uh, it was founded in 1831, uh, and uh, it was founded in 1830. Sorry, 1830, and uh, it was uh, in New York, New York State, and the uh, the whole underpinnings are on sort of uh, American uh, uh, American individualism and trying to find uh, the truth. And uh, he, you know, Joseph Smith, he went from uh, church to church to church to church trying to find what was the truth he couldn't find it and then he uh he you know prayed and and, and had the revelation to start a, a whole new church and i think that's a very uh a very individualistic a very um uh proud kind of uh, american uh underpinnings to the faith Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, and it, I mean, and it's also sort of, you've got this weird dichotomy of not only is it founded and created in America, but also America rejected us and, and ex- exiled us literally had extermination orders against us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're one of the only, uh, people that have literally had a extermination order uh, by the governor of Missouri uh that uh, they they could people could, could kill any mormons that they found and uh they, to have a governor uh of a state do something like that uh it was it's pretty shocking when you think about it and so then we ended up outside of america and yet uh and yet we're very american so it's, it's an interesting uh dichotomy of uh of yeah. a uh, of a faith 
Totally. It feels almost to me, hearing you talk about it, like a micro version of America as a whole, right? Like, you know, how the pilgrims had to flee Europe to come and Mm -hmm. establish the colonies here. And and it's kind of like it plays out in miniature with the the Mormons inside the U.S., you know, or what is now the U.S., I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think there's some truth to that. I really do. Yeah. And I mean, and the church has evolved and changed as we've got new revel- revelation as things have changed, just like anything else. And and uh, I think most of us uh, that are practicing have have also evolved and changed and grown. And and uh, it's a uh, it, it, faith is a faith is a process and uh, it's not this like static thing of this is what I believe and that's it. And it's never going to, uh, it's never going to change. Mm-hmm. That also feels exotic to me as someone who grew up, you know, in South America mm-hmm. and in a big city and wasn't particularly religious. Uh, this all sounds like a whole different world, which is, yeah. you know, kind of crazy to consider. But yeah. I think that leads us into our movie main topic, which is all yes. about, uh, being in the shoes of someone who's very different from you that's very very true and i think that your name it resonates with a lot of people that are spiritual by nature i think that's one reason why it it, people love it so much is because uh, it's about that spiritual yearning that you feel uh of believing in something greater than uh than your own life and in what taki feels is that is that yearning if he knows that this something's out there and he's got to find it and so i think that it that's one reason why the movie resonates so much particularly with people of faith So the listeners might not know this, but actually this morning we woke up and I was in Utah and Rachel was here in New York and we had (laughs) body swapped. So when you hear me talking, it's actually this is Rachel and Rachel is actually a Conrado. (laughs) Um, Rachel. How does an all-American girl like yourself get into anime? And I guess your name in particular, but um, anime in general. Well, because I had started uh, reviewing all of the films that were submitted for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars uh, in 2014, that was the first year Mm -hmm. that I did that. And uh, and I started watching all of the Studio Ghibli and really loved that and sort of uh, started diving into sort of your classics of anime with you know things like Ghost in the Shell and Akira and uh, you know things like that and and uh, really just loving it and I have actually been to Japan and my family has a uh, kind of a love for Japan because uh, of our family business uh, it kind of started it now they're made in China but they originally the hand the hand warmers and the and the screws that my um, my grandfather invented, uh, that uh, that he was originally found them in Japan, 
And uh, we have a very great friend named Dai Hirota, who uh, was the business associate of my grandfather and my grandfather's best friend. And uh, so uh, he's a wonderful man. And so I've actually been over to Japan and uh, once and uh, but it's just always been kind of a part of my life is Japan and and die and and uh, anyway and so I think that's part of it my sister was a huge lover of anime and is still to this day and loved manga and uh, and reading all of the 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 uh the anime and then my cousin who i lived with in college she was super into it as well um so there was just influences that mm -hmm. uh there and uh so but then i yeah so i watched all of the studio ghibli films and like i said all the anime films and and uh and then uh, since i was watching all of the films submitted for the academy right that's how i first watched your name and mm -hmm. I just, it was my favorite film that year. Uh, I, I thought it was such a beautiful story. And I think what, what's so great about your name is that it has so many layers. It's, it's funny, it's romantic, it's, uh, it's exciting, it's a coming of age story. It's got all of these elements. And I feel like every time I watch it, I, I see something new and different and it touches me in a new way and there i i, I just I, I love the music i love the animation i i love everything about it yeah we're gonna get into some of these all of these uh, aspects and details or as many yeah. as we can but um when i first saw your name i think it was probably in early 2017 i had heard uh -huh. so much about it at that point that it was so popular and that it was so good and I enjoyed the first half quite a bit, the whole gender swap thing and living in each other's skin and understanding uh -huh. each other. And then when the sci-fi elements kicked in, that's when the movie started to lose me a little bit. Watching it this time, though, after, you know, many years and the hype has kind of gone away in some ways. I mean, I have you hyping it up on a daily basis, so that's different. <laughs> but um, I think I was able to lose myself more in the emotions and the ending in particular really hit me this time. But I'm interested. I was so happy when you tweeted that. I was like, "Yay!" Because I remember when you when you wrote that on your letterbox, and I was like, "No, no!" Because the, uh, in my opinion, at least the uh, the the beginning is to kind of just sort of to to get your guard down, get you just enjoying it and be happy, and then boom, you know, we're gonna we're gonna now we're gonna go to this emotional place mm -hmm. and. Uh, and so it's just kind of wetting your appetite for what's coming. Yeah. So the first time that you saw the movie, did you have any idea of, of how big of a hit it was? Or, or did you go in completely, uh, you know? No, I was very fortunate because I got to see an early screening. I got to see the uh, the uh, Oscar campaign screen. Oh, right. Whatever. I, I, I watched it uh, on my computer the first time I saw it because uh, it was a link. So I was very fortunate in that in that case i'd heard a little bit of buzz um i think i'd seen chris stuckman's review and he really loved it and he had actually flown to there was one theater in la that was playing it because of the the oscar you know the, right the qualifying they, um, yeah and it's a shame that they uh that they didn't wait until 2017 to, to do the oscar run yeah i think it would have had a way better shot mm -hmm. than 2016 because 2016 you had 
Moana and you had uh, Zootopia and I mean it was just a way thicker field than 2017 but, I but also, anyway and, I agree yeah. with you I also think they kind of botched it with the release with doing this kind of like qualifying run and then waiting to release it later I think if they had released it in a proper year and gotten a lot of people and a lot of critics to see it it could have yeah. ended up winning a lot of critics awards and generating you know the buzz yeah. to actually get the nomination yeah and and unfortunately it was also Funimation was doing the uh the release as opposed to G Kids and at the time G Kids was the place for your independent anime right also. and and they had had such a great uh, Oscar run now it's they've been kind of su supplanted by Netflix uh but um but for a long time you could count on at least one G Kids film to get nominated. making it in the Oscars so they it got botched which was very frustrating mm -hmm. but but that is why I got to see it early was because because of that and uh I just I just loved it I thought it was so so great and uh and so I wrote the, uh, because people think, people think we as critics that we like being a contrarian and, and maybe I think you like being a contrarian sometimes, <laughs> but me, I don't like it at all. <laughs> it is not for me. And, uh, and I like being part of the, the, the consensus I like, uh, it is not fun for me to, to, rain on people's parade that's not what i like to do mm -hmm. and uh and and so i think it's great when i can be part of a big movement of something that people really love that's that's my right. favorite um before we get more into it um i think let's describe a little bit what the story of your name is for those who might be listening who haven't seen it and of course we'll keep it a little bit spoiler free especially the second half which has some pretty unexpected turns but basically it's the story of two Japanese um, teens or like young adults. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Taki is a boy who lives in Tokyo and uh, Mitsuha, Matsuha, is it Mitsuha? Mitsuha. Yeah. She Mitsuha. Uh, is a girl who lives in uh, the country and one, and they start swapping bodies um, every, you know, every couple of days they would, they wake up and they're in the other's body and um, as it goes along, they, you know, start learning about each other and their life, the difference between being a boy and being a girl, being in the country, being in the city. Um, and what else happens, Rachel? What am I missing that's important to say? Uh, yeah, so there's also this comet that is coming uh, and uh, that people are pretty excited about that uh, that is kind of a, a theme of the story and I don't want to give too much away. I don't mm -hmm. know if this, this is a spoiler podcast or not, but, um, but yeah, that there's, there's a natural disaster element uh, mm -hmm. that ends up happening and, uh, and they end up getting, they end up getting separated. Right. And Taki uh, in particular uh, as a character has this great desire to try to find find Mitsuo he doesn't know her name mm -hmm. right and, uh, and so he's trying to find her uh it, but it's based on sort of this this feeling that he has that this person has been inside him and he's got to find out where she is yeah exactly 
I th- just it, it it's almost like just at the moment where they're really starting to understand each other with the body swap, mm-hmm. um, it stops and and yeah. he doesn't know why it stopped and he starts you know he starts to forget a little bit what it was like being mm-hmm. Mitsuha like you said he can't remember her name and um, but he has this feeling that something is happening and that he has to find her right, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is very um strong. And they there's there's also a lot of traditional Japanese uh, religion and uh, traditions uh, with things like the uh, the sake that uh, that she makes and that he drinks and that connects them. Plus also the the band uh, the red band that uh, that connects people through time. Uh, so there's a couple different things like that that uh, that I think are are really beautiful. Yeah, I love the I love the the moment with the sake because it's something that you know because it mm-hmm. is part of Japanese uh, tradition. It's in the movie, but it's something that you would never see in any movie when someone you know mm-hmm. making a sake by like chewing rice and then spitting it back out and then letting it ferment, which is how, you know, the original, most traditional version was made. But it's mm-hmm. something that now, even in the movie, the younger characters are like, ew, why would you do that? Right. But yeah. I love it. I think it's so great that it's in a movie. I know. I mean, and that's why to me, it's it's frustrating if they are going to be setting, they're, you know, they're doing a remake of it and supposedly it's going to be set in the United States. And I'm just like, ah, it's not even going to have any of, I mean, I guess they're going to make one of the characters evidently Native American, so they're going to try to... Oh, that's how they're going to do very, like a version of uh, the sake with that. Okay, we'll see. We'll I'm see how it goes. Very skeptical. Very skeptical of that. But because uh, I just think so much of it is unique to Japan and so beautiful. And uh, I, I just respond so much to this yearning the Taki has. And I, I think that uh, I can definitely relate to that feeling of something greater than yourself, something you can't explain. Not everything, even people that aren't religious, I think, understand that not everything in life can be explained, and that sometimes you do have, uh, you do have yearnings and feelings, and uh, and there are things in this world that we don't understand and that we can't explain and uh, i think that uh, that that's a real point of connection for me with the story mm-hmm. um and and just our response to the other when you know it's a whole philosophical concept of the other and uh, and the way that uh, that once you understand the value of the other you will do anything to try to rescue them and that's really what happens mm, with Taki is right. that once he understands the value and he sees that this has happened and uh, and he becomes desperate to try to rescue and save uh, Mitsuwa. Yeah, I think that's my, my favorite uh, part about the movie is that, that mm-hmm. whole element. Um, I think it's very interesting to have a boy and a girl switching bodies and the yeah. way that the gender and gender expectations play in this story you know we had um, yeah. Nick Davis over at the Criterion Project uh, recently and mm-hmm. he mentioned that he was teaching your name in a class about trans cinema which I hadn't made that connection before but 
rewatching yeah. it this time, I was struck by how much of the movie is about characters kind of improving their lives by adopting traits that are traditionally associated with the other gender, you know, at It's least true. in the first part. I found mm. a blog called Atma and Funomena, written by someone named Nachi Kyotsuki. Um, and they have an essay about your name called Interpreting Progress in Gender and Rule Breaking, which I thought was really interesting. And I have a quote mm. that I want to share with you to see what you think about this. Um, so this is what they write. Um, Grandma's comment early in the film about Mitsuha's odd behavior yesterday forms an opening commentary on the nature of gender identity that the film will continue exploring. It's external. The majority of the comedy and drama revolving around this story element are in the form of external viewpoints that come as the result of soul swapping. Taki's supposed feminine touch getting him a girlfriend, or Mitsuha's masculine confidence giving her unprecedented popularity with the boys, etc. It's rather telling when you consider the parallels of Taki and Mitsuha's out-of-body experiences, especially after they discover the phenomenon for themselves. Not only do they make rules for each other about not breaking the societal gender decency, they both promptly break them to the annoyance of the other. And yet, progress is made. Which I think is very interesting. You know, they don't want this change, but the change is kind of good for them. Like, you know, being having a little understanding the other person's perspective and having a little bit of them in their in themselves um, makes their lives a little bit better or like, you know, gives them something that they hadn't considered before. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And not even just in the terms of gender, but also the terms of class and, mm -hmm. uh, and we you know, obviously one's from the city and one's from the country i mean i just i could watch uh mitsua eating at the cafe all day i think that is so hilarious she's right so, she's so excited to, yeah that's a great point because she's so excited to be able to like have a you know a meal at a cafe that taki just takes for granted yeah yeah he's like stop eating all the sweets <laughs> yeah exactly why do you work so much because you're eating so we're spending all my money <laughs> yeah and uh Uh, but yeah, I think that that is true, that uh, the the difference between, uh, particularly for Taki, uh, with uh, his relationship uh, as he is actually like thoughtful and considerate and, and, uh, and fixes, uh, um, fixes her skirt. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's something that uh for for uh okudara uh that he, he, she even says like you feel like you're a different person mm -hmm. uh right now than you were before yeah yeah and she falls in love with that person it's it's such a great uh way of depicting you know the kind of the i think that's what's great about body swap movies is that they can give you a sense of the spirit of the person and not necessarily just like mm -hmm. what's external um to the rest of us Um, yeah. What I think it's um, something very original about the movie and something that I don't think I've seen done before is that the characters who body swap end up falling in love, which is not usually how it goes. You know, it's usually mm -hmm. I feel it's like Freaky Friday. It's a mom and a daughter. Right. And they learn yeah. to accept each other. But it's kind of in a family relationship. So I think this was a very um, unusual way to depict romance, like feeling you know being in each other's bodies yeah. really understanding each other in a in that sense what do you think about that 
Yeah, I think so too. I can't think of any other romance that is done via body swap uh, that that I that I've ever seen or heard of before. Uh, but the uh, the the bond that they form with each other is just so strong, and uh, and it they can feel it in their in their bones that. They know that there's somebody out there, and I, I love the way the movie starts out with, with that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with them kind of saying to the, to the, you know, who are you? Uh, I've been consumed by this feeling, the feeling of another person's existence. Yeah, uh, yeah. I also love how the movie opens right after that with like this like awesome rock song and this opening like yes. it's almost like an anime TV show that that I think it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yes, in fact, I got to interview the band Radwimps for Rotoscopers oh. and that was pretty darn cool. Uh, to get to do and uh, I love the music I absolutely adore it Uh, I think it is so beautiful and I I particularly I prefer it in the Japanese Mm -hmm. than in the uh, than in the English I I think in general I prefer the Japanese uh, and then the subbed versus the dubbed in almost all anime but particularly in the music in your name because i feel like it for some reason the translation to english makes it feel like they're rushing a little bit Mm. i feel like i can see that Uh, and so i prefer the the um japanese music i love the music in your name and i especially love that song um that they play for the montage when they're uh, body swapping no 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 the one that's um oh zen 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 sense yeah which is like this song that talk about rushing it's like just like like i was listening to that before we recorded today just to like get me hyped up and in the mood because it's such a like you know up-tempo great song it's so good it's so 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 good and uh just combined with the beautiful animation it just really makes for a great experience Mm -hmm. and uh, you can just feel that they were on the same page with Makoto Shinkai uh, as the, it was just this great collaboration. Yeah. Let's touch on the animation a little bit because mm-hmm. we can't talk about this, you know, have this conversation without mentioning um, how great the movie looks, regardless of whether or not you love the movie. It's he's Makoto Shinkai is an incredible animator, you know, especially when it comes to kind of like the digital effects that he uses in such a kind of sneaky way because they don't look so digital, they look hand-drawn, but the lighting effects and the way the camera moves is like stuff that you can't do without computers, but he makes it feel so um, hand-drawn in a, in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you got that 2D animation, but then you have the sort of fluid uh, qualities of the, you know, that you get with the computer as far as the rendering. Um, so it's uh it's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, especially when you have the, uh, the, the comets and all the scenes with the comets and, um, and, uh, mm-hmm. it's, he's so great at doing nature and also doing water. I mean, his, his follow-up, whether you is not, near as good as this but it the one thing is that it, it was just like he he knew that 
he was really good at drawing water <laughs> just like, like crazy it was so beautiful and uh and so yeah um he's he's really talented uh at at those kinds of um uh where the camera is kind of moving and circling around the the characters and you just get this beautiful i mean i would have done anything in um in the uk they actually showed this on imax and i so wish that i could have seen it on imax maybe someday mm -hmm. but i would absolutely just love to see your name on imax because i think it would be gorgeous yeah i can't i can't get over the camera movements in the movie i don't yes. think i've seen the, the uh, did uh, like a animation camera you know like camera in quotation marks because it's animation but yeah. like move in that way like mm -hmm. not even in something like adventures of tintin which is pretty great at doing long one takes um yeah but this is crazy because he is not only moving the camera he's using advantage taking advantage of the fact that it's animation to make it move in like at certain speeds that you couldn't even do in in any anywhere else you know yeah um and it's something that you could have never done before digital uh, technology. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just trying to say because I so often am, uh, you know, tweeting and writing against uh, 3D animation, uh, like lame 3D animation, computer animation. But I have, have nothing against the technology of computer animation. I think you can use it to make something look really great and beautiful. Um, I think a lot of yeah. the time it's not used for that. It's used pretty lazily. And it's very exciting to see how, uh, particularly with this and with Spider-Verse, I think are the two best examples of really using uh, the CGI to uh, to make for a new experience that people haven't seen before mm -hmm. and, uh, and to cr create that movement the way that uh, scenes like in Spider-Verse, the, uh, the, the leap, yeah. uh, leap of faith scene. Uh, with all that the way it moves and flows and and uh uses it to create a whole new dynamic as opposed to uh as opposed to what we're you know what we've seen before so Absolutely. i think that uh that it's it's very exciting and and uh, recently i did a uh series for for the sundance film festival i was interviewing animators and uh, these are sh animation shorts uh, so I interviewed 10 different animators and they all were talking about, uh, about Spider-Verse in particular, mm -hmm. or, or a lot of them were talking about that and how it really is such a game changer in the way that it, the, in, in the way that it created the presented animation in just a totally new way. And, and that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. It's a very good time to be an animation fan right now. I mean, especially with the pandemic where animation is, is something that can be done uh, in from right, home. remotely. And, 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 yeah. And so it, it's, I think, I think this next year is going to be a very strong year. And I think even maybe even the year after that uh, it's, I think animation is, it's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the movie's reception. Um, do we have any theories as to why the movie ended up being such a huge hit in Japan? But also in a lot of, um, you know, it broke box office records in Korea and in Thailand and all across East Asia. So do we have any theories there? Um, I just, I mean, I'd like to think that it was 
because it was so good i mean that was a big part of the reason that you like of course there's lots of things that are great that don't do very well but um i think it was helped a little bit by the fact that makoto shinkai was kind of bequeathed or uh or the uh the title of the the next Hayao Miyazaki he's oh, kind of that that uh, Studio Ghibli was finished uh that they had t- uh, retired and that he was kind of the uh he'd done a you know a couple pretty successful films before that uh but uh but then this there was kind of a void I think mm-hmm. uh because we didn't have uh the uh the auteur we didn't have Miyazaki making them any movies uh, and so I think that he kind of found them. There's some other really wonderful anime directors like Momar Sozada mm-hmm. uh, and people like that. But I don't know. I feel like that a lot of people have said that Makoto Shinkai is the next Haimizaki. I think that that's a little lazy. But um, but nevertheless, as far as commercially, I think that yeah. that's part of the reason is there's that void. Certainly helpful for him and to get his movies made and, and seen. So that's good for him mm-hmm. um do you did that come from do you know if that came from your name and the success that people started calling him the next Miyazaki or was that all, already there before I think that uh that it was there he'd had a film five centimeters per second that was pretty popular um but I mean nothing on this level obviously um and and I think it uh I don't, I don't know I, I it's hard to say because I didn't follow right i I wasn't aware of until the u.s release um so i'm not 100 sure uh when that analogy started but uh Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i think that uh he's that's part of the reason yeah he's a very different filmmaker though like you were saying from miyazaki because he's he's so much into romance which i feel like it's not usually the at the front of miyazaki's style mm-hmm. and he loves science fiction in a way that i think miyazaki prefers more traditional fantasy worlds and that kind of thing adventures yeah that's true um i think in terms of the success of the movie um i mean i think it's a good movie and i think it's a very emotionally satisfying movie in its own way um especially the second time around the way um and this was my wife's reaction to the movie when we watched it such the when we were watching it together for the last for the like um i don't know last 20 minutes or so of the movie she was just like gripping my arm being like i need these two to find each other and to be together like you know she was absolutely completely invested in what was happening um Reminds me of the way that Titanic became a huge hit because of the romance, you know, and because when you're, especially when you're a teenager, you want these kind of like overwhelming emotional experiences at the cinema, I think. Yeah. And also, the, I, the, there's an article that I found, Why Kimi uh, no Konawa it was, was such a big hit, uh, your name. And it's, it makes it, he makes this author makes a good point. He says in the, the, in the film, the protagonist is aggressively optimistic. And, and he says, if you think that's not a valid point, think again, uh, the, in his, his old works, the protagonists are living passively. They don't fight against their destiny, but the protagonists in your name struggle to change their fate. This is a feature highly unusual for the director and made it easier for the audience to feel empathy towards the characters and if you think about it that i think 
that's a really good point because 2016 was i think a time that we needed uh we needed optimism and hope and uh you know all those things and i so i think that may be part of it as well i could see that, uh, that mm-hmm. it's definitely it's definitely the characters are very easy to root for in the movie that's for sure yeah um, yeah he does a very good job of of you know but also not idealizing them you know they have their own flaws they're human but i think we can identify with that and that's a strength mm-hmm. yeah uh so i think that it, 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 it you know the, you just catch lightning in a bottle sometimes what why does something hit and why does it not it's so hard to know yeah um what about what is your sense of the of the fandom of your name in America. I think that you would be more plugged in to it than yeah. I am. Um, because it was definitely not the huge hit that it was somewhere else. But I do feel like there's a growing fan base of people who are mm-hmm. catching up with the movie and loving it. Yeah, well, I like to feel like maybe I created that. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did get a lot of people to watch it within my own little sphere. But I think that there's a lot of people like me that that have been encouraging their friends and family to to see your name and i think it's a really great gateway anime that if you're not ready for uh some of the you know more intense stuff or some of the uh it's it's very likable and very uh it's it's a great way to introduce your friends and family to anime and I, I i've had a lot of people that say oh i don't like anime uh and aren't ready for something like spirited away or something like that that uh that watch your name and they like it and they're like oh maybe i do like anime because because i don't really understand the people that say they don't like anime because it's a it, anything can be anime there's anime of all different i mean if you look at the difference between something like grave of fireflies and your name and spirited away and only yesterday like it, that's a huge akira like it there's a lot of variety in the art form mm-hmm. and i i think that when people say oh i don't like anime i think what they're saying usually is that i don't like pokemon i don't like digimon i don't like that kind of show right um but if you could get them to kind of find an anime that rings true for them then they realize, oh, maybe I actually do like anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like when people say I don't like black and white movies. I'm just like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and it makes me think of just the the old animation. I mean, the old thing that everyone who loves animation says, which is animation's not a genre; it's a medium, and so is anime. Yeah. Like you can tell right. all kinds of stories through animation and through yeah. Does it's not one particular kind of story that is told? Yeah. yeah. Um. I want to ask you a couple of things that might be a little spoilery. So I think maybe I will put this at the very end of the episode. And uh, if people want to listen to the spoiler, if they have seen the movie and want to get into the spoiler stuff, they can skip ahead to the end or just keep listening after everything is done. Hey, everybody. I am here to tell you that I did not move the spoiler section to the end. So it is about to happen right now and if you don't want to be spoiled you should skip ahead to minute 5720 in the podcast recording when you hear the bell chime spoilers will be revealed
Um, I want to talk about the science fiction um, mm -hmm. because um, I don't think I understand how it works. <laughs> the, the, the kind of like the time travel stuff. Do you understand how the timelines work in the movie? Yeah, so the <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of hard to explain. Um, so yes, uh, so the connection between the cord connects them, uh, and uh, it's what it's kind of the way of the ancestors of providing a way to save the people of Itamori is to oh, and, and wow. this is something this is something that has been done for generations that there has been this link between people through these courts that's why the grandma is encouraging uh her to uh to learn uh, about them and to learn how to make them and uh, she talks about her own dreams and right. uh, it that and that her mother had dreams and and uh and uh, it, it's a little bit fuzzy about like whether her and her that her mother and her father met through the cords but uh but uh, i uh, i think there's some maybe something to be said oh, wow. for that and then her father became bitter and uh and so that's the the whole thing in the end is just this just that first it's taki trying to convince her father to evacuate in time um, and you do have to accept sort of the idea that uh, that they can get all of those people to the school in the amount of time that they have before the before the comet mm -hmm. uh, hits. Um, but you know that that's a I'm willing to take that leap. I guess that they're able to do that, and uh, uh, and so once yeah. I, yeah. Uh, but wait a second. I, I need to I need to catch up. Uh, so because you're blowing my mind a little bit. I had not understood the thing about the courts. So let me see if I understand correctly. So uh -huh. the timelines when they start sw switching bodies, I understood that they are in different times. Um Taki is far ahead in the further ahead in the future than Three Mitsuha years. is. Three years. That's right. And because of that, Mitsuha went looking for Taki in the past and did the thing with the cord at the subway or at the train. Yes. And the thing with the, yeah. and that's and the cord is the moment that uh establishes the connection. Huh? Yeah. Yes. And then they also when they go to the crater to the shrine, mm -hmm. that is where they have the magic hour where they can they can converge and both be together. Because it's and, the time in between day and night. Right? Mm -hmm. And also because they've shared each other's uh, fluids, I guess. Also, oh, right with the, with the drinking of the sake. Yeah. Yes, uh, and so yeah, that that's why they're they're finally able to meet up mm -hmm. in, in that in the scene at the crater, um, and uh, but they they don't know each other's then they don't know each other's name, but he still has the right. Uh, he still has the cord and. There's only one more thing that I that I don't fully get, and they think this might just be a plot hole. I don't know. I'm willing to accept yeah. it if it is. When once he does the thing with the sake and they meet at the twilight, and then he enters Mitsuha's body the one next day, one more time to save to be able to save the town, uh -huh. and he wakes up the day of the meteor, but or the day before, 
but Mitsuha has sh- her hair has been cut, which in the original timeline she didn't do until right after the meteor thing. Did you notice uh, that? Yeah, I'd have to think about it. Uh, I didn't. I I think there is something there about the hair. Yeah. Um, Should I just but... go on the internet digging for it? <laughs> yeah, I I'd have to. Ah, I'd have to think about it. I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen it so many times. So I'll just have to watch it again and uh, pay attention to the hair cutting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, okay. uh, I have to keep track of when she cuts her hair. Yeah. I can't remember. I think that might Sorry. be one of those things. <laughs> it, it could be just a thing of like that, you know, but, but it's something that I noticed and it confused me yeah. a little bit even more because I was trying so hard to figure out what was going on. <laughs> um, yeah, but they have that connection uh, between, yeah, between the cords and between her going to Tokyo to see him and uh, him trying to find her. And like I said, then they meet up at the magic hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I will say this <laughs> that even if you do not understand what's happening with the science fiction, the movie still works. I, I yeah. didn't fully. I, you get enough of what's going on to be able to follow it without knowing the details. And the most important part is being invested in the characters and their emotions, which totally well, and, worked for me. Yeah. And also it gives you something to kind of enjoy every time you watch it as you're sort of looking for new things. Like I've never really paid that much attention to the haircutting, but next time I watch it, I'm going to pay attention to no. the haircutting. And uh, and I know I love that. I just feel like it's a movie that has so many layers to mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. which is so fun. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there is an explanation to the haircut. I'm sure there is. I, um. I trust. Uh, <laughs> I trust uh, uh, Shinkai that there is. <laughs> Great. So talking about Makoto Shinkai, you have seen. Uh, more of his movies than I have what would you recommend for someone who wants to watch more who saw your name loved it and where should they go next yes so I do recommend watching Weather With You I don't think it's as successful but I still think it's beautiful and I think it's worth a watch Um, but then also I I recommend Garden of Words which is uh, a short film but it's beautiful about this uh, young man and this kind of older woman that uh, become friends and uh, and uh, it's a, a very pretty movie and, and, and very sincere sweet movie and then five centimeters per second is also it you know a really great coming of age story mm-hmm. and you can definitely see a lot of the themes then that he would kind of master in your name uh, that started in five centimeters so I would recommend both of those, uh, well, three of those, mm-hmm. uh, to 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 are worth a watch. I think. Um, and I think some of those are available on Netflix. Am I right? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I I, I don't know. All right. Well, I mean, uh, I will. I'm sure you can find them all. So great. I feel like Garden of Words. I feel like I remember seeing that on Netflix, but I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah. Great. So, um, is there anything else you'd like to say about your name before we wrap up? No, I mean, I th- I feel like everybody has to have sort of their movie that there's that they champion as their favorite movie, and and I understand that there are flaws in your name. I I get that, but but when you're when you're loving film, it's not about finding a perfect film. It's about a movie that 
the that makes you forget its flaws when you're watching it and uh, and people can point out like oh what about this what about this what about this and i'm like i i'm i'm aware of that i just love it and i i think that's the great thing about about film mm -hmm. and particularly about animation that it has a, an ability to take you to a completely different world and be immersed in really being immersed in art uh and in a way that is beautiful and incredible as as many live action films are i just think there's something special about animation that you're literally in the the paint and the color and the 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 uh the artist uh palette and uh, i think that's really special yeah i couldn't agree more about animation and about uh movies that just connect with you and you just yeah. absolutely love that's how i feel about phantom threat it's my favorite what can i say mm -hmm. i just love it yeah. um yeah. great so Thank you so much for being on the show. Would you like to tell the people listening where they can find you and more of your work? Yes, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And uh, and we do uh, monthly obscure animation and uh, and talking Disney. Me and my friend Stanford uh, over there. We have the Criterion Project, have the Francast. Uh, Lots going on. And then, of course, the Hallmarkies podcast where I do interviews every week and, and a lot of other fun stuff. So uh, check it out. I'm really proud of everything that I do. And uh, um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, as you should be. You're doing great work. Check out check out Rotoscopers as well. They, they have a great, uh, great website for all your animation. Uh, it, it's really good over there. So Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on here, Rachel. Thank you. So much fun. I'll, I'll be podcasting with you soon. Yes. <laughs> Bye, everyone. And that's our show. Thanks again to Rachel for coming on to talk about your name. If you enjoyed our conversation, you should check out the Criterion Project. It's the podcast Rachel and I do together where we talk about the movies in the Criterion channel and or collection. Do you have any thoughts, questions or comments about the show? Please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at KogoHitsNY or at any of the links in the show description. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us find more listeners. But more importantly, why don't you tell someone about it? After all, word of mouth is the best way to support an independent creative endeavor such as this one. Thanks again for listening, and make sure to come back next week when we'll be talking about the lady in the Tutti Frutti hat. That's Brazilian singer, actress, and superstar, Carmen Miranda. Oh, and you might want to stay after the music, especially if you like the flashy girl from Flushing, the nanny named Fran. きの
So, Rachel, you record a lot of different podcasts, but one of my favorites is Francast, which is a show about the nanny. Please tell us about your love for the nanny. Yes. So I have, ever since I was in high school, I've really loved the nanny. I just always thought that Fran was so funny. And at the core, the show is a romantic comedy uh, between uh, Maxwell and Fran. And uh, the way they build up their relationship uh, is not only really funny but also they just have such great chemistry between those two actors mm-hmm. Charles Shaughnessy and and uh, of course Fran Drescher and uh, so I always wanted to do a podcast where I recapped the nanny and I just decided that with the uh, with the pandemic and being isolated and everything and and I, I just thought well why not just do it because mm-hmm. uh, I've been thinking about it for years. And uh, so first it was part of Hallmarkies podcast because we were just kind of testing out the waters. That's kind of what I do. And, uh, and then uh, after about, uh, I don't know, about eight episodes uh, where it seemed to be doing pretty well, uh, we branched off into its own uh, show mm-hmm. and uh my my friends uh larry and colleen uh they uh agreed to do the show with me which uh, is also part of the fun of it uh we if i i've thought for a long time that we should do like an after show uh because we end up just talking and talking for sometimes <laughs> over an hour uh, after we're finished recording wow. uh, because uh i don't know i think we're all just so stir crazy and we need that Mm-hmm. connection and just talking uh, to people and and it's been a really it's been a great thing all all around uh mm-hmm. to get to uh to get to talk about the show and we we every episode we cover three episodes of the show so we're actually now on season five and and so uh we we talk about obviously the plot of the show but also we cover the fashion uh, on every episode mm-hmm. of the show. So I've become uh, pretty familiar with designers like Most Chino and Todd Oldham and people like right. that. And, uh, well, you got to cover the fashion when it's yeah. the nanny and it's Fran Drescher. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, I love the show. I think it's so funny. I think it's so sweet. And uh, I, I think it holds up pretty well. There's a couple episodes that are, uh, that are a little outdated but for the most part i think it's still really funny and uh and like i said that classic romantic comedy Mm -hmm. um i think it's a great uh i mean i love the nanny as a show i think the francast is a great show my only problem with any of this is that the nanny is so hard to find on streaming nowadays i know i don't understand it Uh, it must be something with sony uh that uh television they must have some reason because uh because yeah you can't get it on any of the major streaming services uh outside of the united states you can watch it on amazon Mm. but for some reason here you there's a couple there you can watch it on um i I think it's on tubi or one of those kinds of services but none of the major streaming services none of them have it and i don't understand why uh, because it's so funny. Yeah, 
and and it's the show that I think. I mean, it's a popular show. I think it would bring uh -huh. people to to know. to watch that show to a streamer. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the romantic comedy aspect uh, because we both are fans of rom coms. It's hard yeah. to do on a TV show, right? Because you have to sustain mm -hmm. it for so long, and so many shows have this kind of will they won't they thing that kind of ends up becoming boring after yeah. a while. So, what do you have any thoughts about why the nanny pulls it off? Yeah, I mean, they pushed their luck even on the nanny with them, uh, the back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, and, you know, and then they finally get married in season five uh, and then they're they're together for season six. Uh, and, you know, they say that that nothing kills a show like either getting married or having a baby. That's mm. usually the kind of the death knell to most shows uh, as far as comedy and uh, it, it's tough because there's only so many like reasonable ways that you can keep people apart. I mean, Ross and Rachel are probably the ultimate kind of example of, of, uh, of trying to, uh, trying to do that to mm -hmm. just whatever success they, they had. But do you um, think, do you think that they succeeded with Ross and Rachel? Were you a fan of that relationship? Um, I mean, I wasn't a huge Friends fan. I mean, I liked it fine, but it wasn't like I wasn't super invested. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like Ross isn't the best, right? I love Rachel. <laughs> Ross is a little bit of a yeah. I, I know what you're saying. I actually I loved Friends when it, when I was younger, and yeah. I still do. It's a great show. Um, I think I'm. I think the Chandler Monica relationship they handled really well, and yeah. and you know talk about getting married and and that kind of thing. I think they pulled that off. Um, they mm -hmm. stayed very interesting as characters and very fun, despite yeah. um, being together. and And I okay. love that they didn't really try to break them up. You know. Yeah, of course I will never forgive the creators of How I Met Your Mother. That I oh, that was one of the. <laughs> the worst things i've ever seen in my life was a finale i was and still am so mad about that and uh so it's a tricky thing to pull off and and it's a lot so it's tricky to, to do a finale in general it's just very hard uh but i think that a lot of times they want to be too cute you know mm -hmm. they want to like surprise the viewers when we don't want to be surprised we want we want our characters to end off happy and uh I mean, people might say they want it to be a surprise, but I don't think you actually, for the most part, want a surprise mm -hmm. in your finale. I mean, I think that's why everyone was so upset about Game of Thrones or, you know, just some of these terrible finales. Mm -hmm. And you want your characters to end up in a happy space and, uh, and you know, not having the mother die in the finale. <laughs> right. Especially... <laughs> Especially in a show like that, you know, in a sitcom or like yeah. a comedy show that's well, about hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. When the whole purpose of the show is about meeting the mother and how could they could screw it up so phenomenally? I will never, never, ever watch any of those people's shows ever again. <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of the finale of The Nanny. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Is it an eventful finale? Do you know? It is a pretty eventful finale. You have uh, Fran having uh, twins. Oh, so oh, yeah. so that's a great way to end a show like that. It's like with the birth of a baby or something yeah. like that, you know? And you also have Cece and Niles getting married. 
Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, that's great. That's that's something you can only do in a finale because once you do that, for example, you can't write more episodes yeah. in which they're together. That just yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, people were so invested in the couple of uh, of Fran and uh, and Maxwell that she later did a show called Living with Fran, where she plays a divorced uh, woman. Oh yeah, and, I've seen some and- some of that show actually. <laughs> people were upset that she thought that they thought that she had divorced Maxwell. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, it's a totally different character. But, but people were upset. <laughs> so yeah, that's how invested people were. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's a tricky thing. Uh, 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 I mean, the fact any, any television show that, makes it past you know two three seasons is 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 an incredible accomplishment i mean it's very difficult to do Mm -hmm. very tough i tell you a show that actually i know a lot of people give it flack but i thought had a really great finale was the big bang theory it just every i I thought they did such a great job of making all the characters have a really great ending and uh, and just making it very touching and sweet and uh i thought they nailed it Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't heard too much about that. I I fell off. I watched maybe a couple of seasons back when it was first on, but it ran for so long. I, I at some point I uh, fell out of it. Well, I've always said that I feel like almost every show has two good seasons in it, mm-hmm. and then like great shows have four good seasons. Oh. So and, so uh, the nanny has four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the really the uh, well the the nanny. Uh, has like really after the f- the the fifth season has uh, some really great episodes because they have the wedding in the fifth season mm-hmm. um and the engagement and other things like that uh but um uh but yeah i mean it definitely gets a little bit more hit and miss uh after the really the third season i mean i still right. love an episode of the nanny is always going to be fun for me of course but um but uh but yeah, I mean, you just definitely get to the feeling of like, wow, they're they're stretching for ideas here. They're mm-hmm. really, they, they, yeah. I think that's a great uh, theory that you're that you're saying. Yeah. I think I've thought something similar in the past. Um, definitely, yeah. most shows have like two seasons where it's like right at their peak, and yeah. then you have you know something absolutely great like The Simpsons, who was able to do yeah. like I would say from season like three to seven or eight, they're all excellent. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like with Simpsons, you actually have kind of it's sort of it becomes like a cycle of kind of repeating itself, and because uh, it's been on so long that it's had kind of I don't know, it's almost like it has it's almost like there's several sort of yeah versions of the show almost it does it and, right, uh, but um but uh, for most shows like for instance the office I really think like the first two seasons mm-hmm. of the well the first season of the office is kind of it's trying to be the British one. It's kind yeah. of, it has some funny stuff, but it's, it's kind of an thing. asterisk. This, the second season is I, in my opinion is just about perfect. It is so almost every episode is just in, again, in my opinion is so funny. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then it, that's, then it goes really strong through the fourth season. And then after that is when it, it took a, a, downhill like you'd still have funny episodes every now and then but it was way less consistent 
yeah uh, and um anyway that's just my kind of theory of things it's I definitely it, true with how i met your mother for sure right uh, it's a, it's probably season. yeah the i think for how i met your mother like around two season two or three was when they were at their yeah at their peak and with friends i think it's season four and five that are the best so mm -hmm. i think yeah i think you're onto something yeah <laughs> there we go revolutionizing television <laughs>